Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I'm your host, Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined as I often am by our blog editor, Supreme, newsletter aficionado, and Seattle resident for the moment, Ryan Donovan. What's going on, Ryan? Uh, not much, man. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. So I live in the United States of America and have felt for a long time like the medical system, the healthcare system has some serious issues. And so when I got a pitch to talk to some folks who are using technology to try and improve the experience for doctors and patients, I was very excited. We're going to be chatting today with two folks from Sorcero, which is an AI analytics and insights company focused on the healthcare life sciences space. So without further ado, I want to welcome Helmut and Deepanita to the program. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. So Dee, let's start with you. I know you have done startups before. You've been through Y Combinator. You've uh, gotten a degree in business. What brought you to where you are today at this confluence of AI and healthcare? That's a great question. Well, a couple of things. Most specifically, before I started Sorcero with Walter and Richard, I had spent a number of years in public health at the intersection of public health data and technology and really discovered that one of the main uses of AI, which is in being able to compute and analyze very large volumes of information faster and more efficiently than a human being alone can, the application of that is most effective, most powerful, and most meaningful in healthcare and healthcare data. That was really the origination of this. More recently, as both a caregiver and a patient, I then went on to discover some of the nightmares of how patients actually get treated and, in fact, sometimes why they don't. Right. And it isn't as simple as saying, I have a good doctor or a bad doctor. It's about whether the doctor is set up to treat patients effectively. Do they have all the information they need, in the right format, and so on and so forth. And, in fact, yeah. whose responsibility is it to gather and communicate that information. As they began unraveling or you know, peeling back the layers of the onion, we zeroed in on what Sorcero is today is, and that medical analytics interplay, and really the need to build a company that is dedicated to unlocking that specific data and analytics challenge. Mm, very cool. And Helmut, how about yourself? How did you find yourself in your current role? And yeah, tell folks a little bit about sort of what it is you do. Sure, sure, sure. So I am the CTO at Sorcero. I have been in technology my whole life, pretty much, and a couple of decades working on different verticals in tech, the last 15 years probably in different tech companies and startups, uh, some of which I co-founded in uh, big data, uh, AI analytics. The last few years I've been in healthcare. Uh, I do have a lot of commitment to the improvement of healthcare in the country, and I... Uh, been in different stunts around it, trying to, to help here. And my previous startup was also in AI, but this one is different because, uh, well, not only I am proud to be with an awesome team, but also uh, we're focused now on, on a specific healthcare problems, leveraging some of the latest AI technologies. And yeah, so I've been with Tercero about a year now. Cool. So obviously the data that comes from your medical experiences is very powerful. You know, I've seen ML stories about finding tumors early, but it's also treated very sensitively in, in the U.S. with HIPAA laws and such. Can you talk a little bit about how you all use data to improve healthcare? Sure. 
one of the things about Sorcero is we're not used at the point of care, which means mm-hmm. that our platform is not being directly accessed by a doctor or a patient. In fact, we stepped away a little bit from that and are looking at the infrastructure that supports better decision-making by the doctor or increases a patient or a patient advocacy group's ability to advocate for the treatment, which means that we're working with literature. On the, on the third-party external data side, we primarily focus on the masses of literature out there. We also work with the clinical trial data or with patents. So on the third-party side, there's a whole bunch of unstructured scientific information growing at an insane pace. On the internal side, we support our customers in unpacking and being able to compute and analyze better the conversational and the survey data and the notes that they're collecting from the conversations their teams are having with physicians. And as we unpack and help them to analyze that information, we're able to help them pinpoint how to treat a patient population. Mm -hmm. So a patient group of patients with a specific set of indicators and then a treatment that's in the market. And the treatment could be one thing or it could be combination. As you know, some of the most exciting new treatments are combination. So that's Mm -hmm. sort of where we play at the intersection of those two things. I'm going to repeat that back to you like I'm five and you tell me if I've got it right. But there's, you know, let's say, right, a cohort of patients and a hospital seeing them again and again, and the outcomes are not terrific. And they're wondering if there are alternatives. Your technology has been reading all the latest literature and looking at studies published by academics, but also by pharmaceutical companies and by patient advocacy groups. And when they query you to say, you know, is there something we could be doing differently? It says, yes. You know, if you look at X, Y, and Z, which, I, you know, I've read everything out there. And as the AI, I can kind of synthesize it for you. You might try this because it's had better outcomes. And then similarly, like you said, for the patient advocacy group, they could go to the hospital and say, we don't feel like, you know, our needs are being served. We've talked to this system and it said, you know, a better alternative would be X, Y, and Z. Can you please try to provide that? And then they, you know, try to make that change happen. That was beautiful with one difference. The querying okay. is not being done by the physician or mm-hmm. the, the provider. The querying is being done to the healthcare company, to the life sciences company. So when the doctors are at a point when they're unsure of how to use a drug that's in market or unsure of how to treat a specific patient that they're looking at, they ask medical affairs on, hey, do you have any data? And so it's actually the medical affairs folks who are using our platform and asking exactly the questions that you just laid out and then preparing a package for physicians, partly because they have much better, broader coverage and our experts themselves, our users are uh, medical experts themselves. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. I think the clinical trials piece is, is very interesting. There's so much data produced around it and it's such a, such a risk bringing a, a drug through clinical trial process. What sort of data analysis do you all have that, that simplifies that? Helmet, I think you should talk to PLSs and accessibility, both across patient and physicians. Just so folks know, what does that abbreviation you're using stand for? Yeah, important. There are only less than 0.2% of the global population that can actually read a medical document. That's where we start, which means any of these things that are coming out, the readability of it is very, very, very low, including doctors. A 
PLS is a plain language summary. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's also called patient lay summaries, depending on who the end audience is for that consumption. PLSs are generally known to increase engagement with that piece of content by 16x. And in fact, PLSs are regulatorily mandated in the EU, which means every Mm -hmm. drug company actually has to create one as a companion piece to everything they're putting out. What we find is that PLSs have been a purely manual process so far, and usually they're actually several grades higher than the required like grade seven readability. And this is great because you can measure it. Readability, there's so many in the system measure readability. And this is a great, very, very appropriate space to apply generative AI. So what we mm. do is we've created a workbench or you know, a PLS generation workbench that supports the medical writer in writing PLSs that A, faster, we can generate one in minutes. Mm -hmm. It's vastly cheaper and it's much higher quality. So we're finding that the PLSs that we're generating is 700% more readable than what's in the market. And we've actually done the studies and and the numbers for this. So that's what PLSs do. And so when you're talking about a clinical trial report, it's fresh, you know it's important, it's something we need to know, but it's inaccessible both to the doctors and certainly to the patients. And PLSs right. actually make it much more accessible. Oh, this is very interesting. So that's a good example on the side of PLSs. We basically summarize publications for consumption that requires it to be a little bit more digestible, right? And the way in which we do that is by a combination of multiple machine learning processes and algorithms in combination also with generative AI to generate the the summary. Of course, this has a lot of complexities around making sure that it's accurate and that the generative AI is not generating data that is not true. I'm sure you guys have heard about hallucinations. A little bit. So (laughs) So we do employ a lot of different steps that we take into analyzing the results to making sure that the output is not including things that were not originally in the text that we're summarizing. So we try to identify new entities that were somehow magically inserted there. We identify change in context and um, terms that are not mentioned in the original text. And we make it easy for the user, uh, in this case, the medical uh, first expert or the PLS person who's generating the, the summary, to point them out to things that they should look out for, right? Mm -hmm. And it's as simple as highlighting kind of thing. This looks like something you want to verify before you say this summary is finalized. So we we are a company that does a lot of AI plus human work and accelerate their work. That's our main thing. And we leverage uh, the human attention also to make that output being accurate and valid, but we make it very easy for them to identify possible occurrences of hallucination. So yeah, I mean, just to put this in context, Ryan and I have actually been working a lot with folks at Stack Overflow for the launch of Overflow AI on some similar ideas. You know, how do you do retrieval augmented generation where we say, don't go out and look at the whole internet and then tell us an answer. Look just at this, you know, corpus of text that we think is relevant. You're much less likely to hallucinate. And I've also seen examples, you know, of AI that were trained on Stack Overflow questions to say, you know, if somebody asks this question and you're going to explain it, try to explain it like one of these top-rated Stack Overflow answers because that's the most, you know, accessible, the one that's easiest to understand, the one that's delivering sort of like the best information. So it's kind of cool to think about that in the medical context. Helmet, I guess, yeah, like, obviously you're leveraging the, the new stuff, the generative AI and the LLMs, but also are you working with, you know, some of the techniques that we may be familiar with from, you know, older AI breakthroughs that are more focused on data analytics or statistics or 
trying to wade through, like you said, mountains of text that are changing every day with new releases and identify what's valuable and what's not? Yeah, we actually have a pretty diverse set of different AI services that we manage inside our infrastructure and that support our products, right? We have all kinds of things ranging from NLP services, so analyzing text and producing insights out of data or identifying entities to combine it with other different services, including annotation, labeling, knowledge graphs, things like use your basic machine learning services, uh, supported in many cases by cloud platforms that enable us to do so. We obviously leverage now also Gen AI. We do all sorts of data processing and enrichment on data that we consume from multiple sources, including open data and customer data. So we have also the complexity of dealing with heterogeneous data and diversified data from open sets and, and, and uh, proprietary sets from our customers, which, like you guys mentioned earlier, add a whole other level of complexity around privacy, security, protection mm. from data leakage, compliance, all those things. So scaling a data platform that does support a variety of models at the same time that is compliant and is secure and protects IP, privacy, it's compliant with GDPR, mm. with HIPAA, mm. <laughs> all the stuff. Right. You can imagine the amount of stuff that we have to do in order to achieve that. And there's other services that include things like, you know, privacy preserving services, things that we do purposely to improve interpretability and explainability, which is a big challenge with uh, AI. And uh, at the same time, we support custom AI models from our customers, which is one of our, our superpowers, let's say, mm -hmm. right? That we built this infrastructure through our MLOps capabilities to allow our, our customers to come and say, hey, we, we have been experimenting with this particular model and we run it through the data in your infrastructure and mm -hmm. combine it with your other insights and mm -hmm. the data that we're going to give you. So we allow them to, to play with the different pieces of the puzzle and derive all sorts yeah. of interesting uh, insights and analytics. One of the things that Helmut has not told you is <laughs> that we, from the very beginning, actually had taken a hybrid approach to AI, which mm -hmm. means we've used both symbolic and non-symbolic approaches. We actually use ontologies extensively throughout mm. our stack. That's a lot of where our proprietary methodologies come from, which makes what we produce much more um, accurate, measurably accurate, benchmarkable, explainable, transparent. So yes, we've definitely always taken a hybrid approach. And then we've also philosophically been in the AI plus human camp. And you're going to see that all over the UX of our product. And because we serve experts, this is the right way to go. This is very exciting for Ryan. He's going to tell you about how LLMs <laughs> don't know a gosh darn thing. That's and he's right. going to want to know about ontology. So I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's, I love uh, giving them a, a symbolic understanding of material. With that, do you have feedback from the users, from the expert customers in sort of tagging and flagging data? Yeah, and, and that's something that we continue to, to build on. You know, as, as we evolve quickly as a startup and new features, we always think, okay, how are we going to incorporate into this new feature potential feedback mechanisms? And are these models that we can feed into or are models that are not in our control? Sometimes we use models that are pre-trained, so we would have to then do things like, okay, we're going to incorporate this data as a either fine-tuning or potentially doing other methodologies to extend and enhance those capabilities, like correcting uh, issues around accuracy and things like that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the feedback mechanism is definitely one important way in which you can show customers that you are 
you know, committed to explainability and also to improving the system's performance, of course. Ryan, however, we do spare our customers from having to tag. Uh, that seems like an atrocious yeah, use of their time. <laughs> so the tagging yeah. of content and concepts, in fact, across our hybrid data set is something that is done using machine and, in fact, using AI. Mm. And we extensively use AI for thematic labeling and for ontological labeling. However, our customers give us feedback on whether the suggestions we're giving them, so the actual output, you know, is this the right recommendation? Is this the right analysis? That's where they're giving us feedback. Mm-hmm. And we can still, of course, take that feedback in and do something about it. But it also gives our customers control over that output where they know they're not they're going to have to consume whatever we throw at them. They do have that checkpoint. Right. And there's a lot of other Aspects that make life sciences data complex, you know, I mentioned diversity of the data sources and heterogeneous formats, but then you also have high dimensionality, right? When you talk about ingesting data that is captured from the interactions of, say, somebody in a healthcare professional with another healthcare professional, there's a lot of nuanced details like the tone and, and the sentiment and the context that add more complexity to the analysis of that data, especially when we're talking about unstructured data, right? And then I mentioned also regulatory and compliance issues. And finally, domain-specific language, right? Mm-hmm. And also, you pair to that domain-specific language complexity, the contextual understanding, because sometimes on medical terms are used different in different contexts, right? So those are things that we constantly look out for and apply to our validation and quality of inferences as we verify them. Mm. And so... Are you able to gather new medical data from around the globe in different languages, or are you limited to a certain subset of, you know, languages that your systems can understand? So we are inherently multilingual. So we currently do sit on a global database. The languages that we are are currently, our customers are using extensively is more English. And there is what's coming up next, from what I understand, the customers is French, uh, Portuguese, Spanish. Um, and then actually Japanese. So yes, there is going to be multilingual in the future. And and we do actually have a global data set, which is one of the things that our customers really care about because they're often trying to find a researcher, let's say in a Brazil or in India, which isn't often covered when you're looking at a US only data set. Mm. So you talked about the, the global data set. Do you have a central database and do you also have separate sort of customer specific databases? Yeah, we do both. Helma just talked about tenancy, et cetera. So there's always a, you know, a room for each customer to live in. But then we have what we call, uh, and we continue to build out what we call the Sorcero Scientific Content Repository, which is where we are taking all of the third-party data that is available. You know, it could be licensed, it could be open access, it could be something where we buy. And we put that all into a single database, normalize it, unify it, and enrich it. And that enrichment means that it's, it's we're also generating a lot of uh, novel data and a lot of novel metadata. And then we can pipe that into different applications for different customers. For a customer, they get to choose those data sources, but they also often bring their own data to the table. So in the customer rooms, it's a mix of our core data plus what they're bringing to the table together. So you must have a a series of pretty complex ETL pipelines and such to manage all this data. Helmet, what are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we build the SSCR 
following the data vault patterns and it allows us to support, like I mentioned, a, a very diverse set of data sources that some of them are very big, like PubMed and UPMC, we ingest clinical trials and we are also the sole recipients of the Open Alex author data and metadata that we ingest into our system. Those are all huge data sets that require things like the duplication and record tracking. And also we do a substantial effort on data lineage tracking. A lot of the times the customer really wants to know why their specific queries render specific results in certain publication output right. or, or which authors are relevant to this or that. And we need to be able to explain that, right? Because uh, they can also go and try to search those others up in data systems and, and try to match. And we need to explain why we decided or our system decided that was the output, right? right. So lineage is important. And the data vault pattern is also key because it allows us to add additional open data sources or other data sources without disrupting the pipeline, right? And there's different levels all the way from draw data vault to your business analytics kind of levels. And that's where there's all sorts of things between feeding other purpose-built applications to just your plain analytics through dashboarding and stuff like that. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that. I think that's kind of like one of the core tenets for Stack Overflow as we look to get into the world of Gen AI is that there has to be attribution, right? If we're going to provide you with an answer for why you should write this code, you also want to know who provided the answer, you know, what the reputation is, what kind of licenses this code have, you know, so that I can actually put it into production if I want to. And in your case, right, like you're giving me an answer, but I'd like to check your references or maybe like you said, dig deeper in, right? Like now that I know which paper was significant, I can go and try to, you know, maybe find some more stuff within that. What's the p-value on these results in that? Yeah. Oh my God, you just really hit a nerve with that p-value thing. (laughs) Uh, You know, physicians are influencers unto themselves. I never thought Mm. I'd use that word, but they, you know, they're the influencers. So our customers are tracking for who is the highest influence for their specific therapeutic area and, and then trying to zero in on them and then targeting them. And if I was retail, I'd already have this is the joke. Oh, it's not the joke. It's the truth. If I were retail, I'd already have that kind of fine grain understanding of my target customer and my influencers and how do I move them around. And life sciences, you know, we're trying to give them that level of fine grained analysis on their customer base and who's influencing them and who to trust. So I guess I checked out your website and there were a few case studies there. I would love to hear maybe from each of you. Tell us about sort of one, you know, case study or instance where you sort of felt like, as you mentioned before, there's a positive impact we can measure here on the healthcare system. And then one thing that you're looking forward to in the upcoming year. Sure. So we recently won an award for our work with AstraZeneca. So, you know, we have three products in market. One of them is intelligent publication monitoring, which as the name indicates, it supports our customers in monitoring publications pertinent to their therapeutic area. Uh, one of our oldest customers in this has been AstraZeneca's oncology team. And because this is public, I can you know call them out by name. And uh, we just want to award with our partners for a zeitgeist in the application of AI to medical affairs transformation. This is incredibly exciting because for the first four and a half years of Sorcero being alive, I had to explain to people what medical affairs was. And so let me tell you why this is so important. Medical and scientific affairs are the team in pharma that is responsible for collecting, analyzing, and distributing absolutely all of the data that governs the safety and efficacy of every one of those products that they bring to market. 
making sure that they can do their work means that the physicians will have the information they need, the patients will have the information they need, the regulators will have the information they need, and of course, the insurers will as well. So having a case that tells us as a team that our platform is actually moving the needle forward in equipping this team for the future and for improving patient outcomes totally made our day. Awesome. Yeah. On my side, I can talk about two different things that I'm excited about. There's a lot of things that excite me about what we're doing. On the technology side, the substantial effort and investment that we're doing on the building of the data asset that we're going to combine with our AI services, there's like a mutualism between the two, right? We we enrich, but we also use the AI to classify and tag. So all the stuff is growing. And as we partner with more entities and we ingest more data, that's going to become more and more rich. And so that's very exciting and it's a big problem to solve. But at the same time, when we work with medical affairs, for instance, it's exciting to hear things like, hey, you know, these teams are actually looking at opportunities for medications, for instance, to be applied in other fields that they have not been tested. And the data accelerates that process of discovery. And that to me is super exciting because when, when you see that you're potentially going to be able to help a cohort of patients by using something that already exists, but it has not been applied in that fashion, but you're analyzing how some providers are actually testing it and applying it in the real world and gathering all that data and bubbling it up to this team so they can notify and they inform the providers that they can be used in that way. That's amazing. So pretty exciting stuff, both on the tech side and on the real world, because you can see how it can make a big difference. Very cool. If you can explain to me maybe later after the episode why I always fill out the form for the new doctor online. And then when I get there, they still have me fill it out on paper. If the AI could explain that to me, I would really like to know. I don't think that's their domain. That's an unsolvable challenge. It is one, however, I support in solving for. Yeah, we should definitely solve for that. All right, everybody. Uh, it is that time of the show. Let's shout out someone from the Stack Overflow community who came on and shared a little knowledge. Thanks to John Carell, who was awarded the Lifeboat badge on August 8th for helping to explain the difference between self-join and inner join. We've helped 40,000 people. So we appreciate you bringing your knowledge to Stack Overflow. As always, I am Ben Popper. You can find me on Twitter, X, at Ben Popper. You can email us with questions or suggestions, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review because it really helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find it at stackoverflow.blog. And you can reach out to me on Twitter slash X at Arthur Donovan. My name is Dipanita Das. I go by D. I'm the CEO and one of the co-founders of Sorcero. You can find me on LinkedIn. But really, really go look at the website, www.sorcero.com. Ask us questions. Go ask for a demo. And I'm Helmut Adults, and I'm CTO at Sorcero. And you can find me also on LinkedIn. And yes, I encourage you to go check out our website. Thank you, guys. Sweet. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you soon. <laughs>